Hello everyone, it's Eamon here, just interrupting to give a couple of notices. This episode was recorded a while ago, before Conrad and I heard the sad news about the passing of Alan Grant. Obviously we were as devastated as the rest of the 2000 AD community, and there will be hopefully a couple of book club episodes about Alan later in this year when we'll get to pay tribute to him. The other thing to note is that for this story, Childhood's End, we get into spoiler territory pretty early on. So if you don't want to be spoiled, read the book first. Uh, And now I'll just return you to past Eamon and Conrad and on with the show. Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and I am here in my study with Conrad Lydon from Space Spinner 2000. All right. Setting up camp here. Yes. Listen, come on. I'm close, so I feel like we sort of... That, our, my, my appearances on this show have sped up con- <laughs> considerably. I'm fine with it. I love talking about this stuff and jumping around. Well, it's it's quite a lot easier to set up recordings when you literally live half a mile a week. It's we true, yeah. Away, and we literally <laughs> see each other every week. Now, timey-wimey stuff. We have just recorded the film club, which will be out in July, but this episode is coming out at the end of August. Um, and we're getting back to a more conventional um, book club episode because mm. you have chosen a book for us to talk about. What are, what are we discussing today? Conrad? We are talking about the adventures of Anderson Side Division, specifically Childhood's End. So this is uh, from the magazine, Volume 2, Issues 27 to 34, the middle of 1993, which is appropriate for Space Spinner 2000. It definitely just... Like, we- we pretty freshly just covered this on the show, actually. So it's very it's it, it's it's very fresh in my mind for sure. Yes, you did it on uh, with Eli on the Big Meg One. That's right, uh, but it's all the same feed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no differences. Written by Alan Grant, art by Kev Walker, letter by Steve Potter, editor at the time David Bishop. If you want to read along with us, I have got a Hamlin nineteen ninety five trade collection you've got i've got uh the judge dread mega collection issue 11 which collects both childhoods and and just some some surrounding anderson stories from the magazine on on either side of childhoods end and it is also in sci-files volume two which is now digital only i think the print out. yes i have the digital version of that one as well which is a, a good volume also for for Anderson, it, it's got the Shambhala story, um, Engram. It's just got a lot of these, like this sort of transition to a more emotional and like sort of like introspective version of Anderson. I think that you start seeing sort of in the in the early nineties. Okay, so the traditional opening question is why you chose this volume. I know from Big Meg One that you enjoyed this story. Absolutely, yeah. I think both I and Eli really like this one. Um, the art's really great. I think, you know, as a as a weird conspiracy nut, I really like the ancient alien stuff in this one as well. Um, but I, I, actually, the reason I picked it was when we were driving back from Lawless. Yes. Um, I asked you what stories you hadn't covered on uh, the Mega City Book Club yet that you would like to, and this was one of them. So I was like, all right, well, let's do it then. Yeah, I think I must have pulled it down off the shelf not too too long ago or something like mm-hmm. that before Lawless, yeah. Okay, so for anybody who hasn't read this one at all or in a while, just give us the brief outline. Where does Childhood's End find Judge 
Cassandra Anderson. Yeah, Anderson, side division. She finds herself on a mission to Mars, to a base there, the Red Planet, etc. They, um, she is part of a team of researchers going into the face of Mars to find the ruins of an ancient civilization. It's full of monsters and booby traps. Bad stuff happens, and eventually one of their group is also revealed to be longtime First Dread, then Anderson arch-nemesis, uh, Orlock the Assassin from East Meg 1. Yes, it's difficult for us to talk about this one without that big reveal. Yeah, oh, oh, oh I'm sorry, yes. It's yeah. just, there's no way, because that's just like the, the, the second half of the story is basically that. Yeah. And yes, you, you're quite right. This mission to Mars, this sort of... This, uh, weird base or whatever it is, this archaeological find in the face of Mars. Love the face of Mars. <laughs> oh, man. And it's got that... Uh, I'll do a slight tangent here. It's got that slight feel to me. You'll probably have more modern references, but to me, the science fiction version of Dungeons & Dragons was Traveller mm. uh, role-playing game. Absolutely, yeah. And it's got that sort of Traveller feel. That you're you have a party of, of 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 experts sort of walking into a place, and I think in a more conventional story, you'd run into different situations where each expert's area of expertise would help them overcome that trial, and then they go on to the next one and stuff like that. Yeah, but as you say, there are booby traps. There are you know, mm-hmm. there's, it's something to do with ancient an ancient alien archaeological find. There is a huge reveal, which is that Orlock the Assassin is in this book. Because obviously it features two characters from Judge Dredd stories mm-hmm. who have gone on all... Well, Anderson is definitely her own yes. IP, as it were, now. Mm-hmm. Orlock is almost his own IP because descendants of Orlock are still showing up in... Mm-hmm. in, in and I'd say... Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I feel like... In previous Anderson adventures, also Orlock sort of transitioned to being more of an Anderson villain than a Dread villain. I feel like he, she's crossed swords with him once or twice, or maybe two times before this. And right. Dread really hasn't interacted him, interacted with him since Block Mania. I'd right. Say. Okay. And um, what makes them good spin-off characters from Dread's universe? Then what makes them interesting? I mean, I'd say. You know, as I feel like always for for all dread characters, what makes them interesting is, is at least partially is how they hold a mirror up to dread, right? right? And I think you've got Anderson, who's very much a judge. That's the opposite of dread, right? Doesn't wear a helmet, of course, but yeah. is also very fun and light, makes jokes, doesn't take things too seriously, and just and also sort of subtextually, I guess. In the stories leading up to this one, a lot of Anderson is about, has been about her questioning the Justice Department in one way or another, sort of how their methods work, if they're actually good for the city and things like that. Stuff that Dredd himself, who's so committed to the law, that sort of, you know, ultimate um, lawful neutral character that is Judge Dredd. Yeah. Um, it, you know that he would never do so that that, that that makes her an opposite both in terms of bearing but also in terms of like ethics and things hmm. and then Orlock I think is just he's again sort of mirrors dread by just being a Soviet dread or being you know uh, um, someone who is, as much as dread is 
dedicated and single-minded to protecting and upholding the law of Mega City One, Orlock is similarly motivated to destroy it, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, yes. Orlock's the opposite on the other side of the, uh, the battle, and then Anderson is the opposite within the ranks of the mm-hmm. judges, although... I think possibly even more than Dredd um, has threatened to or actually walked away from Justice Department at various points in her career, isn't she? I think, yeah. And I mean, actually, in the, uh, in, in, in the mega collection version that I've got, sort of childhood hoods and is in the middle of the comic and, right. many of the, and does have a bunch of the stories leading up to it that deal with her like d- dissatisfaction with, yeah. with her current lot and stuff like that. Okay. Now, as ever, we're going to get to Kev Walker's artwork in a moment, but before that, we start with Alan Grant's writing and this story. And could I say that Alan Grant is introducing a lot of subjects that clearly interest him at the time? I would I would say that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for instance, obviously, the ancient aliens. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Come on! <laughs> And you can pronounce it. What are they called? The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. Yes. Okay. So for anybody who doesn't know, tell us, fill us in a little bit. And what is this ancient alien hypothesis that is part of Childhood's End? Listen, Eamon, <laughs> are you familiar with the concept of, like, gods in mythology? Yeah. All right. Are you familiar with, like... Thousands of years ago, people built, like, big stuff? Yes. All right. What if all that was aliens? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, this is... it's The the, the Anunnaki are very much a big part of, of like, the show Ancient Aliens. If you've seen that, that sort of, you know, famous meme of the guy on the History Channel with the big hair being like... Aliens, you know, <laughs> it's 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 just the idea that, and I and this is also, and it it shows up a lot. I mean, very much Stargate also borrows from these concepts. Um, a lot of stuff, just that at some point in the past of human history, advanced aliens came to Earth and used humanity as a slave race to mine gold a lot of times, or just to sort of do stuff. Mm. For the aliens, when they had to stay for a while, and then, and then they left for various reasons, and, and things are going on. Um, a lot of these theories also involve the idea that um, the aliens were key in human evolution. Yeah, like like the idea, and this is in childhood in the book in this uh, Anderson story too, of just that of sort of you know fairly advanced apes in ancient times being genetically engineered by aliens to be sort of make the, you know, cross those missing links to what we now know as modern humanity, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of sort of modern conspiracy theory thought has, bases a lot about these ancient aliens sort of still influencing our society and stuff like that. You know, these forebearers that helped influence us or are the ones that are standing stock upright against the lizard beings that would also drink our blood or whatever else, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and in the 70s, one of the key texts from this whole thing mm-hmm. was Chariots of the Gods. Absolutely, yeah. And the, and the whole Of the Gods series. Yes. Of course. Um, and it was also... I would see it on television. I would see... I can't remember the name of the Leonard Nimoy presented show. But Is it like In Search Of? In Search Of, that yeah. was it, yeah. And they would they would do 
ancient aliens and stuff like that. And then, you know, we would, I certainly remember talking about it at school and I remember people telling me at school, oh, it's all true, it's all true, you know, all this. We were Absolutely. all, we were yeah. all designed and built by aliens, you know. <laughs> and I mean, of course, there's sort of also the sort of side part that gets very problematic where it's sort of talking about, you know, how could these people from Africa or South America ever build things out of rocks, you know, and, and, and other things like that, that sort of becomes like, oh, I, I don't know if I like this that much. There's a lot of that hanging over it. Yeah. And, and indeed, I guess, or I don't know if this is the right time to talk about it, but the, the name actually of this story, Childhood's End, is based on a kind of similar story or a book by Arthur C. Clarke, which is about aliens is a multi-generational sci-fi novel basically it's about aliens coming to earth and giving and uplifting humanity basically to becoming a more advanced civilization Mm. you know but they have to do it mysteriously like they can't we we can't see them at first because we aren't ready for it and stuff like that and I mean, I'll mention, you mentioned Childhood's End, we mentioned Chariots of the Gods. The other one is the one that Alan Grant directly references mm-hmm. in the text. Yeah. This chap, Zechariah Sitchin. Yeah, Zechariah Sitchin, yeah. And the 12th Planet that she wrote in 1978. Very similar conspiracy stuff in here, too. Yeah. I mean, there's, all of these books sort of provide these baseline, basic stuff about... I listen to a uh, to a podcast that sort of does often goes into side things about alien like conspiracy things and stuff like that, and they're very and I like because they're very critical of 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 Sitchin and sort of his ability to translate ancient texts, right. which he has none. Yeah, and you know there is apparently a I've never heard for that or for Chariot of the Gods I have a quote by Isaac Asimov that's incre- that's like libelously mis- misquoted or something like that <laughs> but anyway yeah I mean so, I mean uh, you know I'm sort of reminded of the podcast I did with my daughter Jenny about Neil Gaiman's Sandman mm-hmm. where as we were going through the books so often the answer from Jenny was well it's the patriarchy and (laughs) it it sometimes feels like when we look back on this sort of stuff as you say the answer is it's racism basically this idea that ancient people couldn't build big things you know I mean I can't Yeah, so many, <laughs> like, especially modern, re- like, ways of trying to explain things so often come back to, like, well, these people that we are racist against <laughs> couldn't yeah. have done it, you yeah. know, one way or another. Yeah. And so there must be uh, either aliens or some other, like, sometimes it can be sort of also, I don't know, you can get sort of like, oh, they have a, like, noble savage, like, connections to nature or something like that, besides yeah. aliens, but... Yeah. Sort of, it's a, a, all this stuff right under the surface is there's some very dark, deep pools that yeah. you gotta be careful about. I should perhaps mention again as another diversion that we literally, on the way back from Lawless, we literally diverted deliberately so we could drive past Stonehenge. Oh, we? yeah, I was excited. I'm trying to see this English stuff always. Yeah. Okay. Um, and to keep up with the Arthur C. Clarke thing, there's also in this book, in Childhood's End, if I bring us back to the actual story... Of course. Um, Enough there of my is, side things. No, no. <laughs> there, uh, there, is, there is the idea that 
a bit like in 2001 with the Sentinel, the monolith, mm-hmm. that it's it's a this base is sort of like a test or a trigger. Yes. Designed by these ancient aliens to see if mankind is ready for... Right, to go to the next stage of yes. civilization and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, because, again, we're going to give away spoilers. They do trigger an appearance of the ancient aliens who have turned up to judge mankind mm-hmm. and all our, and, and, you know, Anderson must argue the fate of humanity. Um, <laughs> and they are not successful. And, and don't do a terrific job of it, no. Okay, so it's, I mean, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's on Mars. It's a mission to Mars. It's got that sort of group, as you say, group of experts trapped inside a base. There's a variety of tests and traps. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I, I think it would be correct to say that we both have a certain obsessive fascination with conspiracy theories. Anyway. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. We talk about them quite regularly. Trying to, you know, listen, I think it's important that to keep it in a place where it, it's just fun. It is just to, fun, yeah. As opposed to where you start, you know, once the tinfoil actually comes out, that's the challenge. you got to be, every, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have a friend you can talk to so you don't go down too, too, too many dark pathways for it. We are know. both each other's tinfoil hat detector. <laughs> right. Um, well, just don't wear that hat. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so that that's a sort of little sort of chat about the story. Let's talk about Kev Walker's art. Mm. Tell us a little bit about because this is this is sort of peak fully painted artwork, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's that period of two thousand AD and the magazine when we know as a reaction basically to Simon Bisley, <laughs> nearly everybody is going for the fully painted look, aren't they? Mm-hmm. What do you make of it? Um, I mean. I think it's good. I like it a lot. Right. I like a lot of the uh, like like the alien designs and some robots and things are very fun. I like a lot of the landscapes and just sort of this sort of like like blasted Mars, like like big sci-fi cities on Mars and just sort of the red horizon and stuff like that. I think there's some really fun art things in here. You have just different characters and stuff. I feel like the thing that jumps out to me, though, is I don't know if I like... Kev Walker's take on Anderson herself, I guess. Right. Mostly just because, like, you know, like, I'm fine with, like, listen, big muscled lady, all all good, great. Yeah. But she does feel very different from the Arthur Ranson and David Roach versions of Anderson, which I sort of had associated sort of the main Anderson before that, like, leading up to this. Right. You know, I think even in, again, in the mega collection I've got, there's some Ranson um, Andersons. She's just sort of a softer character or, you know, it just doesn't have this big muscle definition that I feel like is the main thing you see, especially in the early parts of Childhood's End where there's some fairly gratuitous, like, um, you know, uh, 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 zero-G swimsuit action and things like that. I think I told you previously that the zero-G swimsuit action was the reason I kept this particular trade away from the kids at the time. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's very... Of this era, the painted artwork, I find, had two extremes. It had the very, very vibrant, colourful extreme, mm-hmm. and it also had something uh, which, Woolly, again, Woolly Russell, to mention him in another podcast, <laughs> had noted, which is where... 
the colours can become very muddy, particularly in the reproduction. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sometimes when they, they seem to throw perhaps too much paint at it and then something to do with the reproduction at the time, they would come out as lots of, lots of browns and muddy. Yeah, I think a lot... I mean, honestly, I literally think some of it's just like... I, I think I know what you're talking about where I saw a post about uh, Britsit Brute. Yes. They, someone posted the original art versus what's in the Meg and... It just, I swear to God, just, there was just one scanner in like 1993 that just someone put like a, a coffee filter on top of it. Yeah. And no one noticed it for like five years or something like that. So just sometimes these scans just come in and they're just like ridiculous. Like there's just all any non brown colors completely eradicated. Yeah. You know? So this one is the colourful variety, yes. and he throws a lot of colour at Mars, the red planet, appropriately enough. So there are mm. some very vibrant colours. I haven't gone back and looked at my Megs to see what it looked like in the original magazines. Um, your reproduction in the Mega Collection, uh, I'd actually say, looks better than my hmm. slightly garish Hamlin Collection from 1995. I mean, I could see that, ha- like, just changes in scanning and printing technologies or yeah. something like that i mean there's there's 20 years apart from just these collections i think at the very least yeah okay um you know kev walker i guess we've talked about him doing abc warriors mm-hmm. um here he is doing anderson i would probably prefer myself the arthur anson which you showed me in the book um oh yeah i mean i love um like for, for 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 me in this era, kind of once you get past, like for 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 my Anderson, I guess once you get past Bolland and whatever, you're sort of your mod, like your your more modern Anderson sort of are 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 Ranson and Roach basically. Yeah. Those are your main ones. Yeah, exactly. David Roach, Arthur Ranson, we love. Uh, Kev Walker. I mean, some of the character designs. Uh, I like the the enhanced monkey adam absolutely i quite like the um the sort of neanderthal man character or the uplifted mm-hmm. character who's revived the the martian security force in their outfits at times take the um the sort of ripped uh, muscular tone just like you know ridiculous costumes that you mm-hmm. know <laughs> and i think they're designed to just be colorful that's why they're sort of got like they're they're kind of bubblegum pink basically yeah they're they're, they're, they're your armors I'm, I'm interested that we don't see artwork you know the the fully painted trend mm-hmm. dies out at some point mm. The only, because the only sort of artist I can think of who's sort of doing it at the moment in the prog would be Simon Davis doing his like his thistlebone stuff, which yeah. is you know, he's an artist. He does fully painted stuff. A lot more artists seem to have gone back to line and ink and coloring, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I think it never really took off in in, in the states as well. Right. Like, there's just there's not that, or not that I remember at least. Like like there's not a period in the 90s where there's a fully painted X-Men or Spider-Man comic or something no. like that, I don't think. No, it might turn up on the odd cover, but, you know... Right, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe some Alex Ross stuff, that, that's yeah. painted, sure, and, and yeah, for covers or maybe some really special thing. But I think, honestly, I think it's actually that's the problem, just that the, the production turnaround for this painted stuff seems like it's a nightmare, honestly. Well, we, we both heard David Bishop talk about this at various points, where he would say he'd have to start somebody off... 18 months before it's due to be in the in the Prague or the Meg and you mm-hmm. think you know blimey you know yeah it's just a lot and just like you've like I mean I've done some 
oil painting myself. Yes. And, you know, just sort of copying Bob Ross stuff. But, like, you don't, you can't take, until you've done it, there's no way to realize just how long it takes for that stuff to dry. Yes. And be usable. Yeah. In a way that we're touching it doesn't destroy it, basically. Yeah. And so I could just really see, yeah, that... You know, there's an idea that this painted stuff sells that, like, the Horn God gives us, basically, in uh, in British comics. And then it just becomes this, like, yeah, weird requirement of the form and for enough years to, like, to give us this era, but then eventually be like, no, we've got to just do this way everybody else does it, basically. Yeah. I've just got this image in my head of all these artists reading the Horn God and then immediately going down to the art shop uh, queuing up outside <laughs> give me the oils give me the paints right yeah. <laughs> I need 20 tubes come on I want all of that stuff yeah <laughs> give it to me all okay so that's Kev Walker's artwork um, I, I do want to say that I I, re- I do really like the art I think right. it's real, I, I like I'm, I'm less over the painted stuff I guess just because I feel like just for Space Spinner especially I'm just in the heart of it right now so right it's just this is just what comics look like to me at this point. Yeah, like, it's not like anything out of the ordinary just because of what, of my standard diet at the moment. Yeah, because we'll get to when we talk about guest projects in a moment that you are deep in this territory at Space mm-hmm. Spinner Absolutely. at the moment uh, and the Big Meg One, of course, as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I am a little bit as we've said, I'm a little bit over the painted era now. I'm a little bit done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, although looking at the slightly better reproduction in your mega collection. I think I might not have been quite so perturbed. And there's some fun stuff in here, for sure. Yeah. This is... My version, I think, is slightly garish, but I do like his characters. I do like... uh, I do like Adam. I do like um, some of the the, the drawings. I like the alien design, like you say. That's great Mm -hmm. stuff. Towards the end of the book, I think we get a much more pensive Anderson, which fits, obviously, with the story. Yeah. At the start of the book, she's very much the ripped, muscular, you know, wearing the G-string right. bodysuit in the, in the Zero <laughs> Grav. And it's interesting towards the end. We should perhaps, going back to just the story of it, we should mention mm-hmm. that, of course, at the end of Childhood's End, Anderson literally has a break. Mm-hmm. She She goes into what we would now call from the current 2008 she goes into the out as it were that's right yeah uh, sends her badge and her gun to judge dread and says you know i've quit yeah and for a while she'll go off and have space adventures i gather absolutely yeah that's the back half actually of the mega collection oh is book, it actually, right which is just a bunch of her traveling the spaceways the sort of re- like her shoulder pads get a lot smaller and they replace sort of the you know, symbol of mega, like the the American flag on her belt buckle, like a yin yang sign or something like that. You know, yeah. and eventually she's brought back with a vision of um, like of a of a coming a dread Batman crossover. Actually, ah, okay. Of the of the the Glenn Fabry one, which she takes part in, which right. ironically it would not come back until many years after she herself came back to Mega City One. Best laid plans of um, of of men and artists, I guess. Right, premonitions of disaster for Mega City One. Um, it, I suppose the timing depends on your. Uh... I mean, to be fair, there are several apocalypses until then. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. like it's pretty. It's it's not an uncommon state of affairs in Mega City One. No, know? well, I mean, it, I, as you well know, it's literally a line in several of the stories. Was this the apocalypse that was foretold? Don't know. Could have been. You know. <laughs> 
Buona <laughs> yeah. you know. We'll see what the next one is, yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I actually, I really enjoyed the story. I think that's why I've kept this trade over the years, is mm-hmm. that I really like the story. I found, this time I found the art, as I say, a little bit too much for me in, in my version. Yeah, but I think there's some really great character notes in the in, in, in the course of this. You get a lot of... And I think this is actually when, um, talking about the character of Orlok, this sort of starts humanizing Orlok as well, of sort of making him not just sort of a, a gleeful terrorist, but, you know, there's a, there's a section where you sort of... Where, like, they're being judged by the aliens, and we see sort of the similarities in... Anderson's indoctrination of the Justice Department and sort of the, the hard life that, that Orlok's led that I think is a pretty interesting yes. character moments and stuff like that. Some backstory for Orlok. Um, yeah, some character notes about how he became what he became and the horrors that he was put through um, as part of his training and indoctrination. As you say, much the same way as Justice Department takes kids and right. turns them into... I mean, it's all, again, always that undercurrent, always that satirical undercurrent in, Dred- in all Judge Dredd and Dreadverse stuff of that, you know, the judges are only the good guys by default, basically. Yeah. Like, in, in comparison to aliens that are going to destroy the entire human race or something like that. <laughs> Uh, and so there's you know there's great aliens, great alien conspiracy stuff. There's there's obviously Alan Grant's a bit concerned about animal experimentation at this time, mm-hmm. quite rightly, and he puts in a lot of stuff about that. I do like an enhanced cybernetic monkey character. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a shame that he doesn't make it on to subsequent stories. Yeah, he could have travelled with Anderson to the spaceways. I mean, it just I it thought it's pretty obvious, honestly. I thought I thought he was going to become the, the the sidekick for a while. You know, I guess you know. Presumably, his his descendant uh, Chimpsky will Chimpsky. help us all in the present day. Yeah, thank goodness for Noam Chimpsky at the moment. Um, I must admit, I do love the Chimpsky stories myself. <laughs> I'm very fond of them. Okay, well, let's go back to the arts and play the Grail Page game. Ooh. Now, this is going to be interesting. So, if we could find you some fully painted Kev Walker artwork from Childhood's End. Uh, which pieces would you own or would you want to own, Conrad? There's two that I really like. One that that's definitely my grail page and one that I really want to call out because I, I thought it was really neat, but I don't know if I'd want it on my wall. I right, okay. So for me, the grail page for Childhood's End can only be the last page of the story. Ah, uh, okay. Which is sort of several sort of like like some some pulling away shots of, of Anderson sort of goes from her eye to sort of her her body to about like knee like three quarters view and then her standing against the sunrise on this martian landscape which i think is really neat and i you know i I like evenly uh the letter like the words on it and stuff this idea of you know this whole uh universe like being a, a thinking monkey and the greatness of the universe and things like that i think this is a really great story or a, a really great piece of art just sort of i don't know I just like spacescapes. I'm a big fan of it. Or just sort of like blasted alien landscapes shots. Well, I mean, I must say that the skyscape, the Martian skyscape, Mm -hmm. is actually beautiful, fully painted art by Kev Walker. Absolutely. And the um, contemplative, it's being beaten around a bit in many ways, Judge Anderson on the last page, or in fact, she's not Judge Anderson, I guess, at this point. It's just Anderson. Just Anderson is, is also great. And it's probably, although we've said spoilers, I can probably post the page without giving away too much mm-hmm. of the plot. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's all right. No, it's okay. Um, you know, uh, it's there. And it's got Kev Walker's signature down on the bottom left on my copy. Yeah, yeah, mine well. too. 
Yeah, so that is lovely. Okay, so I will post that, and you get that one in the virtual art gallery. Fantastic. But then I want to talk about this other one, which is maybe halfway through, it's sort of two pages, and it's when this booby trap is um, picked up, is uh, caught by one of the researchers, and you see this really graphic picture of just a spike going through, like, this guy's face, and, like, it, like distorts his head and then you just see him sort of being suspended off the side of a wall sort of by the spike through his head and stuff he with a uh, with, with like a tearful horrified close up of Anderson's eyes yeah. midway through I remember when I saw this I just found this to be so arresting because it's very just like they're just walking through and like watching this stuff and then one of these sort of singular moments of just like what like that I thought that was a really great kind of cinematic moment yes and you know just this sort of depiction of violence that despite being a very violent comic the both the magazine and 2000 AD you don't see that in depth as much and just especially the just the first part where the, sort of the, you know, the spikes going through and there's like you know some brain matter and things like that yes. really kind of stuck with me from this story but again probably not one I'd want on the wall <laughs> I think there's a new category of Grail page is which has come up a few times on the podcast, which is the one you'd like to own but not put on the wall. Right. This, yeah. Yeah. Like I just sort of like just takes your moments to look at this thing. Yeah. Sort of is is arresting. And you do wonder if uh, this is what 1993, whether 16 years earlier, Kevin Neal would have been employed to sort of. Uh, bodge some of that brain matter out you know I'm sure someone I'm, I'm sure at the time someone one of the higher ups would have been found this to be most improper we can't have a man's brain in the pages of the comics <laughs> Blah. What, would, what would what would Mary Whitehouse say yeah exactly yes it is it is a very violent moment it's a very sort of, it is I thought it was a very Dungeons and Dragons trap moment absolutely or, uh, yes Indiana Jones from the wall absolutely. Yeah. yeah definitely yeah how are you, Aaron? What are what's your what's your Grail page? What are you liking in the course of this Even page that your uh, art style that you're over, but still are forced by the hands of fate to choose one that must be displayed on your wall? Well, I mean, it's my own rules, isn't it? So yes, <laughs> um, I quite like, and it's obviously it's a it's an artistic shortcut for Kev Walker on these two pages, mm-hmm. but I quite like the two pages of just headshots of Anderson and Orlock. Oh, nice. Which is very sort of Andy Warhol. Absolutely, yeah, that um, Marilyn Monroe uh, set of images. So it's like nine-panel grid on each page, and it's just basically their faces with text, and they've done it. He's done interesting things with the colour wash on each one. Mm -hmm. It's very pop art. Um, I like the... I like in your version just our the mega collection and the Hamlin version have different pageation yes. rates so that Eamon's version has those two pages um, opposite each other and for me it's on different sides of the same page which it's is for you it's different. a page too yeah. yeah yeah so I quite like those I would I would love those or one of those mm-hmm. again to have on my wall and you know again it's not too violent I can pr- display those because right. it's just headshots the, the the text is violent though because it's very much about Orlock killing a bunch, like killing a bunch of his fellow judge kids, and Anderson's uh, brainwashing and stuff. Well, it's basically, you know, to pick up on a theme that turns up in some of these comics is basically them both talking about the abuse they received right. as kids at the hands of their respective government. Yes, yeah. <laughs> government-sponsored child abuse. Um, 
uh, yeah, and what turned them into the people that they've become. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> they both. I mean, literally, the both both of them. They both open with the same the same caption. My childhood was stolen. Yeah. Which is an interesting uh, takeaway from um, a comic about a future cop. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Fascinating. I mean, obviously, it's 1993. The comic and its audience, as we know, were maturing. Yeah. You know, these were not the 12-year-old boys from 1977. I mean, it's a problem because they the audience has grown up and decided they don't want to read comics for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you can you can get the Mega Collection Volume 11. It's probably, I think, still out there somewhere. I mean, I got it just at a local comic book shop. Sort of, just sort of in their file, you know, in their... Uh, like re- re- remainder bin, basically. Was that Close Encounters in Peterborough? I think. Possibly. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I think I got it. Yeah, we went there for a free comic book day, I believe. Yes, we did. We did free comic book. Day. Shout out to Close Encounters in Peterborough, and um, what's also becoming a Space Spinner two thousand regular phenomenon, which is people in comic shops recognising your voice, Conrad. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Friend of the show, Graham Cannon, who, who bumped into us and made some good, some really great suggestions, actually, for yes. stuff to check out. Yeah, he did suggest stuff for us to check out, and he will be coming back to uh, the podcast himself here on the book club because he will be doing another form of Aliens. He's Ooh. going to be doing Judge Dredd Aliens. Ooh. Uh, we're going to be talking crossover comics. Nice. Uh, at some point, so look out for that. Okay, and... It, you can also get the Sci Files Volume Two nine ninety nine, which, as you say, has also got other great yeah, Anderson got, stuff. Yeah, some uh, both Engram and 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 Shambhala are in there, I believe, which are just sort of the uh, more Arthur Ranson and uh, Dave Roach versions of Anderson. And then I believe it's got most of the uh, of the space stuff, sort of after childhood's end of Anderson and her various, um, yeah, you know, the out adventures, right? And um, interesting, because as we record this, I've not long had my episode about Judge Dredd versus Death, which is first appearance of Cassandra Anderson, Mm -hmm. and how she was that, although she was, you know, she was diametrically opposite to Dredd at the time, because she was quite chirpy and Mm -hmm. wisecracking and also clearly didn't follow the same set of rules that Dredd follows. Mm -hmm. But the backstory of her character at that Alan Grant has gone on to do after that yeah. with, as you say, particularly David Roach and Arthur Anson. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, in the lead up to this, they've definitely done, like, Grant's definitely done a lot to put a lot more spice into the backstory yeah. of Anderson, basically, which I don't know if I want to get, if, if, if I want to do details about just in case you cover those stories. Yeah. Well, well, we, in, we may get to those stories, but yeah. Okay, fascinating. So that's Childhood's End. It's an interesting story which we both enjoyed, and uh, we also love talking about some alien, uh, ancient yeah. alien conspiracy theory nonsense. <laughs> Ready for it? The face of Mars. Uh... <laughs> I love, like, again, just the. Um, it's such a seventies sci like a uh, conspiracy thing that there is a like that this sort of blurry picture from a satellite millions of miles away or whatever. No, I'm pretty sure that someone just built a whole face on Mars, basically. Yeah. Who's to say? Yeah, yeah. And I guess 1993 is also the X-Files. Oh, yes. I mean, um, 
1990, like this sort of early 90s period, it's, it, I mean, this stuff, like the Childhood End stuff is very appropriate for the early 90s, especially the aliens are sort of built up versions of sort of that classic gray alien. Yeah. You know, we're getting to the point, yeah, of the X-Files. I don't know if, if this was big in England, but in the US, there was a really big um, thing around this video of an alien autopsy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was huge. That was like yeah. on, you know, you could buy it on VHS and yeah. I feel like... We're actually going to talk, be talking about this on Space Spitter, mentioning it, but just sort of that the Roswell crash could have re-entered public consciousness and a lot of very early internet stuff based around just like debunking like that autopsy video and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. It's very, I feel like, yeah, going into the 90s, uh, you sort of post-Cold War is when a lot of this alien stuff really starts to pick up again. Yeah. The alien autopsy video did make it over here and was big news at the time, yeah. And I think we had a lot of the same sort of stuff with various um, special effects experts being interviewed as to you know, right exactly. Yeah. So I start learning about different kinds of clocks that were commercially available in 1948 or whatever yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, Conrad and I will be discussing some more conspiracy theories um, at a coffee shop near you very shortly. <laughs> Listen, I'm ready for it. I got ideas. All right. There. That's what they want you to think, if you think otherwise. So, a welcome return to Mega City Book Club for Conrad. Now, guest projects. This episode is probably going to come out 21st of August, end of August this time, uh, or thereabouts. Where will you be with Space Minute 2000 and the Big Meg at that time? Um, unless I become, um, um, unless I really mess things up, um, we should, at the end of August, we should be either. We, we should be either at our awards period for the end of 93, but more likely we should be a month or two into 1994. Right. Um, in this, ooh, troubled time for 2000 AD, I'd say. You know, I, I would say listen to Space Spinner because you're going to be hearing about stories that I don't think will be showing up on the Mega City Book Club. <laughs> All that soon, I guess. Although, I don't know. Like, we've just done, again, our... 93, we did child, We did this story, Childhood's End, which, of course, makes it, but I feel like that's a, a very high point in, you know, I don't know. I know it gets better, so I'm, I'm ready for that, but it's, it's again, just sort of a... It's the storm right now in right. 2000 AD. <laughs> you, Conrad and Fox, doing all the heavy lifting in the early 90s so that the rest of us don't have to. We're pushing through. You know, <laughs> it's, a land, it's a land of... Big Dave's and Babe Race 2000s, you know, these sort of, these stories that we talk about now as like, ah, yes, when, when things were at their lowest, you know, I don't know. It'll be okay. We're pushing through. And also, as we talked about very shortly before, but timey-wimey stuff, it's a period when the letters pages know that the Stallone movie is coming. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, everybody, especially in the, in the, um... In the magazine, in you know, I, my friend Fox and I do Space Man 2000, my friend Eli and I would do the magazine show, uh, like you know, in, in the same feed, but Big Meg One about the magazine where they have a much longer, like often a, a three or four page letters page, yeah, which has some famously cantankerous characters in it, I guess. But in, I thought there was a really interesting series of letter pages, yeah, right at the end of '93. I mean, I, I talk about this in the show or whatever, but um. Yeah. Both the movies coming out and the comic that would become 
Legends of the Law, the yes. the DC imprint of Dread, yeah. are on their way out, and people are very and Brits are very worried about it. Right. Of just listen, this U US version of Dread's gonna come out, the movie's gonna come out, and all these fake nerds are gonna come in and love it, and like what's gonna happen to our classic Judge Dread? You know? It's sort of a worry of the the carts before the horse of just sort of right. you know basically people like your band put like about to go to their first show and everybody promising that they won't sell out. Basically. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's sort of hindsight. I, I, I can see the worry, but a concern that the U S version and the movie version was going to sort of obliterate the British version mm-hmm. and future Conrad is there to say, you'll be all right guys. <laughs> you know, it's going to be all right. I mean, it's yeah. It, well, you know, it's going to be a situation where, you know, your, your main dread podcasts are in a room in a small town in, in, <laughs> In in in, uh, in the in, UK, in Eastern UK, as yeah. opposed to you know main eventing the San Diego Comic Con or something exactly. like that. Yeah, we've not had the San Diego invite yet, and not expecting one either. <laughs> um, so, where can we find Space Spinner Two Thousand? Space Spinner Two Thousand dot com is our website. Um, BigBegOne dot com will take you to the same place because that's how the internet works. Yep. and just it's a, it's a podcast. So anywhere you're listening to Mega City Book Club, you will find Space Spinner Two Thousand. And you're on all the, spe- the socials as well. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Um, mostly just for episode updates and stuff like that. So I, I post art sometimes. And there is a Space Spinner Patreon as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know if I want to plug financial stuff on someone else's show. You know, but yeah, listen. Yeah, the Patreon, you can get advanced episodes. Help me pay for the show, which I, I, I appreciate because it's, it's tough. Yeah doing this podcast here yeah it is it's harder than it looks yeah (laughs) it is i make it i make it look much harder than it looks uh (laughs) i was going to mention some planned 2000 ad gatherings but actually most of them i think on my calendar will have happened by the 21st of august when Mm. this comes out but we are we are uh we go to the southern contingent meetups in london we go to eastern contingent meetups in cambridge Uh, both of them have got face facebook groups that you can follow for details and we try to get to 2080 comic e signings and stuff when they come up i mean i I love to check them out definitely and uh, you know it's been amazing being here in england and just being able to to meet folks at these events and sort of talk about you know all, all this art that we all love you know, it's it's a really fun community, and I would say if you aren't going to, you know, if you can get to them and you haven't been going, I'd say give it, give it a shot. Like, people are pretty nice. And I will just once more mention the Conrad Space Spinner voice phenomenon in a comic shop, because a couple of weeks ago, we were at Gosh Comics in oh, London. embarrassing me now. Uh, <laughs> Gosh Comics in London for the battle action sign-in, and somebody recognised your voice, Conrad. Yeah, well, so, you know, it was a signing, it was... Um, John Higgins and um, Mike Sally Dory. Jane Hurst. Yes, S- Sally Jane Hurst and uh, Garth Ennis. And so I go to get my book signed and I do my standard um, introduction thing where I'm like, oh, uh, you know, hi, I, I do a podcast about 2000 AD. And Garth Ennis says, oh, are you Conrad from, from Space? But he recognized my voice. He recognized me by voice, Avon, which is pretty cool, if you ask me. Of just, of, you know, these people seeing you. <laughs> Garth Ennis is, is Conrad's new best friend. Found out that he listened to the you know listened to like about the first five hundred progs of the show and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and and now we're best friends. It's good times. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I've just listened to your episode this week where you were talking about some Garth Ennis strontium dogs. And um, I know he apologised to you for those stories. He said, yeah, I said, we just finished your run. He said, oh, thank God that's over. And he said, yeah, just, just give me a couple years and I'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very fair assessment of his own work yeah no that was great um yeah. and you know it's just um it's t- like the, this podcast and this and this fandom around these comics has really taken me places that i wouldn't have imagined when i started doing it you yeah. know and i've met really amazing people and and you know made made some great friends and stuff and, you know, I just really, yeah, I'm really thankful for everybody for being so welcoming because I think certainly no fan communities where someone from a different country showing up and talking big about things is not appreciated. So um, um, I've been happy to be let in. And, you know, this stuff's all so fun and just something that is so hard to see sometimes. Like, I don't know, it's just sort of... I think it's easy, especially if you're in England and you're sort of a, you know, a nerd of a certain age, take 2080 for granted. But mm. I think it's something that, you know, people have to learn about and that it's great. It's really been fun to sort of bring that knowledge to two people that otherwise wouldn't know it. You know? Yeah. So if you're on Facebook, check out the 2080 Southern Contingent Group. Check out the 2080 Eastern Contingent fan group. Mm-hmm. If you're not on Facebook, email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com and I'll give you the details when there's meetups. Uh, and yeah, these signings and events, they get us out and about, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's been, I, I feel like I've, I've seen a fair amount of England now, actually, just sort of in the service of going to various comic book events. Yes, yeah, it has. <laughs> We've run to various comic things, yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, Conrad. Thank you for giving up your Sunday afternoon to record twice with me. Absolutely. Uh, It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, we look forward to your return to the book club. It'll probably be Film Club next, I guess. I guess, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm always always up to talk about these things. You know, and I'm sure there's just more more things to tick off the list, finally talk about things like that as well. Fantastic. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. All my links and Conrad's links will be at megacitybookclub.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the 2080 forums, and email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and. Uh, Spundig Verthrig for me. 